We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Hornets fans, we definitely have a lot to talk about on this episode. It's the end of an era in Hornets basketball with Kimball Walker heading to the Boston Celtics. Also on this episode, we're going to talk about the Hornets acquiring 25-year-old point guard Terry Rozier in a sign-and-trade. I am Richie, and thanks for joining us again. I will be alongside Brian and Spencer here on BuzzBeat. We are the go-to Charlotte Hornets podcast for deep analysis and a proud member of the Blue Wire Network. Just search BuzzBeat and or Blue Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app, and then hit the subscribe button because you guys will be able to get our podcast episodes immediately when they come out. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to skip over the pleasantries with Brian and Spencer. Kimball Walker in a Hornets uniform uh, is no longer. He is going to Boston He's left behind eight great season with the Charlotte Hornets, the Charlotte Bobcats as well. He leads Charlotte in several categories uh, for career statistics like most minutes played, most points scored, most three-point field goals. He truly was the heart and soul of this team, and I think without him, it'd be really hard to imagine where this organization would be. He, you know, he grew up in these eight seasons with the Hornets, and as much as we talked about trading Kimball Walker a year and a half ago. It's not because we didn't appreciate what he did on the court. Uh, But ultimately, he decided to part ways with the Hornets, and um, it actually seemed like Charlotte was a top priority for him. He even said so uh, in some of his interviews. But, Brian, I'm going to pass it off to you. What do you think ultimately was the deciding factor for Kimball Walker? Um, His era, his tenure here in Charlotte is over. Do you think that he was insulted by – that supposed offer that Charlotte gave to him, or was it more of the idea of maybe playing in Boston and competing? Yeah, and, and just real quickly, I, I would to, to what you were just saying, Richie. I would say, you know, us saying that hey, it's not a bad idea for this team to to, to strongly consider trading or maybe trading Kemba. That wasn't an indictment on him as a player at all. If anything. That was that was sort of just expressing how good he was compared to the rest of the to the rest of the roster, and that if there were any way that the team were going to sort of like you know start a rebuild, which seemed needed desperately, he was really the only way they could even get to that. So again, the we've been talking about this for a while now, but the 
I think the discussions with Kemba as a trade ship only meant to sort of signify as how good he actually was as a basketball player and where he had arrived uh, in his career in, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, whatever. Um, but no, as far as what, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever with Kemba and Charlotte, I don't think it was at this point. I don't think we still have seen an official number that Charlotte offered. Obviously there were rumors that it was in the 160 to 170 range over five years, which is about, the, you know the minimum they could essentially do on a, on a five year max. I, I'm, I'm assuming they went a little higher than that, but if not, I'm guessing it wasn't the offer that turned him that turned Kemba off from Charlotte. It, you know, if you heard his interview with, with Scott Van Pelt, if you read what he wrote in the Players Tribune that was published uh, Monday morning, it was not an easy read because you're I was in my feels going through that this morning. But um, you know that he has a lot of admiration for the organization starting from the top down with Michael Jordan. And uh, no, I think the opportunity with Boston was just um, too good to pass up in terms of being able to to play for a contender or a you know we can debate Boston's status as a contender. I think they're they're probably in the middle of the playoff race in the East. They're a good team, but you know I, I'm just not sure they're any sort of like title favorite. But a great or you know a glamour franchise in the NBA and a in a good city. So no, I would say it was just it was the opportunity to go try to actually compete, which is something that just would not have been available to him in Charlotte. I don't think he was necessarily turned off by the offer, though I do understand that if he had maybe gotten closer to that 220 number with the Supermax, like maybe that's just too much money for him to say no to. But no, I think this was opportunity outweighing any sort of, uh, you know, perhaps dismissal over the, the financials that Charlotte offered. And I think that's what made this situation tricky was the fact that the biggest bargaining chip for Charlotte was that number, was that $221 million contract that they could have offered, uh, which probably wouldn't have been smart and nobody was expecting that much money. But I, I would understand if Kimball walked away you know, from $160 million on a Charlotte team versus $141 million on a Boston team. I think he's willing to give up that $20 million to be on a team that, like you said, Brian, might not be a title contender, but they can compete in the playoffs and give themselves a chance to make it to the second round of the playoffs, something that Kimba has never done in his career with Charlotte. So to be, to be honest, I believe the money had nothing to do with it. Uh, everything that you read and heard, he's all about winning, all about competing. Sure, the money could have swayed him to stay, but I don't think he left Charlotte because he felt too insulted by a low ball offer. I think maybe just something switched with him you know, throughout the course of this process saying, hey, you know, if I stick it out with Charlotte, sure, I can get more money, but winning means too much to him not to go to a place like Boston and play with Hayward and Tatum and, and Jalen Brown and all those players. So, yeah, I don't think money was a, as a big a factor as people are making it out to be. Yeah, I think it played a little bit of a role uh, in this. I, I think he was surprised by what he was offered. I think he expected a little bit more than that. Kimba knew he was never getting the $221 million max deal, but I think he I think he did think he was getting closer to the $190. Um, and the fact that you know his annual salary on a five-year deal with Charlotte was going to be less than that he's right. going to get in Boston or, or wherever he took the four-year max, I think it did surprise him. Um, but I agree with you guys. I don't think it was the end-all, you know, be-all of his decision. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. When I think when Kimba realized, wow, this is really the maximum Charlotte can offer me while also trying to put a, a semi-competitive team around me, I think that realization was really 
the point, the, the tipping point, you know, in his decision. And, and you guys laid it out. I mean, Boston is a good situation for him. You know, Kim was able to go to Boston and still play with the ball in his hands a lot, which I mm-hmm. think no matter where you stick him, that is his identity as a basketball player. He needs to have the ball, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we saw him grow into one of the best point guards in the league with that role uh, in Charlotte. So, you know, and if he goes to, you know, the Lakers or, you know, he goes to, you know, name your other destination where he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much, yeah, I think he could be an okay off-ball player. You know, he's proven to to be a good off-ball catch-and-shoot guy, but Kevin wants the ball in his hands, and I think he's still going to have that ability in Boston. And it's just a stable situation, you know? So you got to put yourself in Kim's shoes and think, being in Charlotte and as much as you love it, and, like, what other stable situation, what more stable situation are you going to find out there where the opportunity is there other than Boston? Probably Probably not one. So it's a great fit, and I'm pulling for him. I always will. And, uh, you know, I just – it was just so much fun to watch him grow as a basketball player in eight seasons in Charlotte. And just it's just wild to think about. You know, he gets a $48 million extension a few years back, and we're debating whether that looks good or not and how much better he got during the, the, you know, the phase of that contract is, is really, truly special. So, you know, here's to you, Kemba. You're always a hornet, I think, to, to the people that really care about this organization and franchise. I'll just – let me just say this too. Like, I am surprised – that Charlotte was sort of not willing to go up to that 190, like 30%, 30% of the max offer uh, on a five-year max. Like that does surprise me a little bit. I thought, I thought stuff in that 190 range w- was something that they would actually find fairly, Reasonable. fairly palatable. Yeah. I'm like a little surprised they, they didn't, you know, I think anything above that, the 200 million number would, would have made them, I mean, it obviously made them queasy, but uh, I am a little surprised that they didn't even uh, go to that 30% number just because for the simple fact that if that was the case, then, then why are we not having to trade? Why are, why are there not more serious trade discussions with Kemba starting in January, basically? Right, um, right. Yeah. And even going, back to, even going back to previous seasons, too, obviously. Yeah, and, and you know, he, Kemba had mentioned how much the fifth year meant to him, you know, right up at the last second when he was interviewed before free agency. And so, you know, I had heard that he did expect exactly what you just said, Brian, is he, he, in his mind, his, his camp thought they were getting somewhere in that 190 range. And I I don't know if it's true, whether or not the Hornets were really, really disorganized with what their offer was going to be. There's some rumblings out there that they actually changed it at the last second when he, he, you know, left that fifth year nugget out and they thought, oh, as long as we give him the fifth year, it doesn't matter how low the low ball the offer is money wise. I think that ended up not being true. Now, I don't know that the Hornets changed their offer at the last second. I just know that Kimba or at least I've heard Kimba was pretty shocked that it, that it was that low. So, you know, that's why I say the truth somewhere in the middle here. I do think that the money was uh, played a factor. Brian, you got brought up a good point about, and you know we've mentioned this on episodes and episodes about maybe trading Kemba. If you knew that you weren't going to offer him something that was going to be competitive, in the sense that you probably have to make up some money, and and when you're competing against other teams on the market like a Boston, who can offer twenty million dollars less with the roster that they have and the organization that they have, 
What are your feelings towards the organization now that the Kimba is no longer a Hornet? Do you view this as a blessing in disguise or is there a lot of blame to be passed around here? It's there's look, there's definitely some blame to be passed around here, but, but I don't know if I would stop short of a blessing in disguise. I definitely think it's an opportunity uh, to sort of like reset. I think this current iteration of the Hornets sadly had, had run its course. Like this was a team that won, 35 games and it lacked a, a secondary guy a playmaker to put next to Kemba a secondary score it, it, it frequently lacked a reliable backup point guard almost the entirety of of Kemba's ascension and in, into his prime and so this this does provide them an opportunity for the first time since 2012 to really try to organically build this thing um with with some with some serious vision but I will say like how many times have I described this thing as a lose-lose situation that Charlotte was headed towards this offseason? Well, like, you know, that, that that equation was all hypothetical until it does play out, and then they have this. Like, they lost. But, like, I think even if they had brought Kemba back at 195 over five years or 200 or whatever, like, even that's not a great outcome. Do you know what I mean? And so the, now we're just on the other side of that equation. This was not – no, there was no way – for this free agency to play out well um, with, with Kemba. And it was going to either lead to some short-term feel good, bringing him back and perhaps some long-term pain. And this sort of offers the inverse of that, which is some very sudden and very, very immediate pain uh, to a fan base that is um, flailing and frustrated right now. And uh, you know, it just puts ba- professional basketball in the state of North Carolina in, in a strange position to begin with, but there's opportunity for down the road, 12 months from now, 24 months from now, 36 months from now, do this right. They have some okay young players in the pipeline. They have all of their draft picks. They didn't detonate everything to try to bring him back, even if they swung and missed on some other opportunities. So I, I think this gives them, um, and, and we can talk about this more. I think the, the Rozier sign and trade muddies the waters a little bit. But um, but there's this is still a chance for them to reboot. Nonetheless, there's money coming off the books the next two summers, and the team has all of its draft picks. So it's something to chew on that's not all terrible. Yeah, and I think blessing in disguise is probably not the correct term, but right. uh, there is definitely opportunity, right. like you said, Brian. You know, it's not all negative here that Kemba is losing. It's it's definitely not all negative. And I was asked this question on WFNZ the other day, and I, I thought it was a good one. Like, what makes you more upset? The fact that regardless of who the GM was, Rich Cho, Mitch Kupchak, that they were unable to build a competent roster around Kimba? Or are you more upset that even when you recognize that, you let him walk for nothing? And I I think they're both connected. And you had this team that was coming off this uh, 2015-16 season uh, where they had 48 wins. They were trying to keep this team together. And Brian and Spencer, you guys mentioned this a lot about this, you know, the cap spike, you know, it went up tremendous amount. And to keep some of these players, you had to offer them inflated contracts. So that's why we see these contracts with Batum and Marvin that are currently still on the books and they are not living up to those contracts, especially Batum. I mean, he has pretty much declined ever since he's received that contract. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting question. Like, What's more to blame or what makes you more angry? The fact that there was no roster built around Kemba, which I think that's a a fair, legitimate excuse. But I think also the Hornets were uh, in an unfortunate situation in 2016. But also when you recognize that, they still did nothing in terms of getting something back for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that Kemba walked for nothing, it just it can't be forgiven. Um, It's 
it's incompetence. I mean, we've, we've talked about it to the point of exhaustion, so we don't need to go deep into it. But whether you knew six months in advance that you were going to offer Kimba, you know, whatever, $160, $170 million when he's eligible for 221 and you just take it down to the wire and think for some ungodly reason he's going to accept that, or if the last second you decide to lowball your offer for whatever that reason is um, and you intended it to be higher, and that's why you never traded him. Both of those scenarios are not good. They're both bad, and they both uh, kind of prove why MJ is a bad owner. I mean, it's it's no longer a debate, I think, at this point. All right? I, I don't blame this on Mitch Kupchak, um, but Michael Jordan has cut every single corner he possibly could, can, to this point. He refuses to pay the tax, and he refuses to pay his best players – their market value, which is what you got to do, whether you like it or not. And at the same time, he won't cash in those players mm-hmm. or, or those assets for for more assets for future leverage uh, to help rebuild the team. You can't live in both of those lanes. Exactly. It, right. No, you, no way. you have to you have to pick one. And mm-hmm. I just think that's the most confusing. There's no other way to draw a conclusion or no other conclusion to draw other than he, the guy doesn't know what he's doing. Like there, it's just all the proof is right in front of us year after year after year. And that's the most disheartening part about all this. You know, I, I don't, I would never say sell the team MJ because I don't think he's got too much pride for that. He's never going to do that. But I, I am starting to really worry that this franchise will never get out of its own way as long as he's behind the wheel. And and I'll just say this too, like the, to, to backtrack for a second, it's like, the team, because of decisions, and again, some of this was bad luck, you know, with with what happened with the the cap jump and it and it flat, flat flattening back out. But it's like they never even had a chance really to build a contender around Kemba. I mean, seriously, think about it. Like they they agreed to this extension with MKG in 2015, right before the 15-16 season, right? And that by that point, you already know that the the media rights deal is coming the following summer. Then they have the 48-win team. They max Batum or you know near max Batum. They bring back Marvin on, on a bit of a – I guess a bit of a discount that summer too, but still for a lengthy, expensive contract. Um, and a couple months later, you agree to another rookie extension with Cody Zeller. That's going to pay him eight figures a year. And after that, that was the roster. Like, And all of a sudden, this opportunity that you, you were – perhaps unbeknownst to you as it was happening because Kemba doesn't really take off until the 16, 17 season is that you've got a top, you know, 30, top 25, top 35, top 30 player in the league. And you got them on a below market deal. And this should be the thing that you build on. Like this should be your opportunity to spend. But there was just, they never had any room. Like they were every summer, they were using the minimum to find a, a backup for a Kemba. They were trying to use their exceptions to get Tony Parker and sign the second round picks or like any, and, and even then, in the drafts that they've had in that window, they didn't, they traded out of the 2016 first round. So other than that, the only drafts that they've had have been 2017, 2018, 2019 in this window and 2019 almost doesn't even count. Right. Cause like Kemba was essentially, you know, it, there's almost like one foot out the door as that's happening. You swung and missed on Malik Monk. Miles Bridges looks like a player, but none of these picks have been even high draft picks because you've been gunning it for the eighth seed. So you're picking from late in the lottery in the middle of the first round the whole time. You just, you weren't even giving yourself a chance to put a roster around this guy. And again, some of that's bad luck and, and, and unfortunate timing, but man, it's just like, it, 
this this thing was has been stuck in cement for three years now, and that's why they they just there were other you know maybe they could have lucked up on Donovan Mitchell in 2017 or, or SGA in 2018, and maybe that changes stuff enough. But like, man, other than that, you didn't have the opportunity to go out and spend to get players other than use your exceptions, and and they you know really had a hard time doing that. Sessions didn't work out. Hibbert didn't work out. You know, the stuff just didn't pan out the way that they probably thought it was going to. Dwight Howard, that trade, that didn't work out. And so, yeah, like there were just never any real, real opportunities to even actually construct this roster just because of some of these deals that they had already agreed to. But anyways, I I don't know. We can, I guess we can relitigate that all we want. You know, it's a sunk cost now, but it's just like they there was never even a golden opportunity to build this roster the the white the correct way around Kemba and if that's the case then you should have seen that and you should have moved him at some point in the last two years basically and I think that's the issue I think uh, a lot of people see MJ as the common denominator here and uh, you know even though we have this opportunity to kind of rebuild and reset a lot of people are pessimistic that that's actually going to happen. Because MJ is the owner, and and like, and like Spencer, I'll I'll never say sell the team. That's not my place. Uh, sure, we could be upset, you know, unhappy with MJ, but he seems to be the common denominator through Rich Tro, Mitch Kupchak. He's going to have the final say, and a lot of these moves and acquisitions or lack of acquisitions, typically uh, his name comes up with. Any other parting thoughts about Michael Jordan or Kimba? Like I said earlier, uh, you know, watching Kimba. For those eight years, like I've, I've never, I've never enjoyed watching a player develop as much as him. So I just want to make sure that we like nail it home in this in this episode, you know, or at least I do. How, how grateful I was to watch him and I'll always pull for him, and you know, obviously don't blame him for for going to greener pastures and trying to really win. You couldn't have, you could not ask for a better superstar. You know, the a consummate self-made star. You know, blue collar player. And um, a factor in the community and on the court. And uh, yeah, I actually got a little, I got like a little upset. I, I did a radio hit in Winston Salem this afternoon, and uh, the host of the show was saying, you know, there was never a defining moment for Kemba. You know, and he was sort of saying like, yeah, you know, the team around him was just not good enough. And it was like, man, you just you should have watched him. Like while he was here, you just should have watched him play basketball because if you were paying attention every night. Um, even with a, even with more losses than wins, I, I thought every night this guy went out, set the, set the tone, and set the agenda, and and there were plenty of flashbulb moments that I'll that I'll I'll take with me going forward. So I look forward to keep watching him in Boston. It'll hurt to see him in the green and white initially, but uh, but uh, and, and you know, hey, t- we'll we'll see how this goes for Boston. This is this was not like a a, a low risk signing for the Celtics either. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how things play out going forward. But in, until then, Kemba, best player in franchise history, most important professional basketball yep. player in the state of North Carolina, the, the history of the state, and one of the most important athletes ever in the history of the state too, uh, certainly on the professional level. I think as Hornets fans, we're kind of all emotional, kind of looking back on his career. Uh, but it, I don't think it's really going to hit me until he starts playing next season and he's not wearing a Hornets uniform. Let's take a break real quick uh, before we talk about Terry Rozier. Do you know what the worst sound in the world is? It's your alarm clock if you haven't gotten enough sleep. No matter how much you love that song on your phone, when it wakes you up in the morning, you just want it to stop. Now imagine this scenario. The surface temperature of your bed gradually adjusts to wake you up gently and naturally without the sound of an alarm. Imagine now waking up rested and alert. Nope, this is not science fiction. This is the new pod by 8sleep. 
The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. And there's a reason why Time Magazine calls 8 one of the best inventions of last year. It combines dynamic temperature regulations and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed and no more alarm clocks. To celebrate Independence Day, get a free gravity coolie blanket plus free shipping with your pod purchase, a $300 value free. Offer ends Monday, July 8th. Visit 8sleep.com slash bluewire. That's 8sleep.com slash bluewire. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash bluewire. Okay, so now that Kimba is gone, uh, there was probably many different approaches in which the Hornets could have taken moving forward. But the, the approach that the Hornets did take is acquiring Terry Rozier in a sign-and-trade. Uh, let me just ask this real quick before we get into speaking on Rozier as a player and the future of the Hornets. Uh, Spencer, I guess I'll just open it up to you first. What was your preferred method in which you wanted to approach this free agency period knowing that Kimba was no longer a Hornet? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know if I had a preferred method. I, I just thought the only choice the Hornets would have was to go ahead and, and use their mid-level exception, um, you know, and, and, and bring in a veteran point guard to just bring these young guys along and then, you know, maybe take on a bad contract and, t- you know, get an asset back, you know, something along those lines. I just didn't think a sign-and-trade scenario – was was really in the deck for for Charlotte. Those things are hard to do. The, the, the sign and trade is seeing a massive resurgence. We we can talk about that later on another podcast. Uh, but I, I just thought that was the only path for the Hornets, right? To use our exception, bring in a point guard, bring in a center. Uh, you know, stay below the tax, obviously, and just kind of you know roll through this season next year, being one of the worst teams in the league. Um, so yeah, that that's what I thought. I, I don't know that I had a preferred path. I, I'll kind of save my thoughts on Rozier though. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I think that was my preferred path. I guess that really was the only path, or at least the only path that we thought was going to happen was using part of that MLE on a serviceable backup point guard that would just kind of like eat minutes and kind of run the clock out situation, allowing those young players to develop. So yeah, that that was my preferred method. Whether it was you know Alfred Payton, Ish Smith, Brian, did you have a preferred method, or did you even anticipate a sign and trade even happening? Definitely did not anticipate a sign-and-trade. I'm not completely surprised that Terry Rozier has landed in Charlotte one way or the other. Um, I assume as the the Hornets were surveying the the free agent market after Kemba, he had to be a name that that, that popped up for for anyone that was sort of looking at this stuff. I just assumed he he was a guy that would command money that was closer in the mid-level area. So I thought, you know, even even potentially, you know, Resign Lamb and, and try to maybe go get Rozier on the on the MLE, but that that clearly that was optimistic on on uh, or, or way off. I mean, way 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 off on my part by uh, you know tens of millions of dollars. But yeah, that would have been probably my preferred thing. Um, you know, use the you know find find a way on the MLE to to bring someone in to be a stopgap point guard, give minutes to Graham and Monk, and uh, lose a crap load of games, and then draft you know Cole Anthony or RJ Hampton. Uh, with the top three pick in 2020. Gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, Rozier, I was not even thinking about him to begin with. I thought he was going to get overpaid by the by the Knicks. I thought 
you know, he was linked to New York for the longest time. But like you said, Brian, he ended up being way more than the MLE uh, was even designated for. But before we get into the implications of the deal, I think Spencer's a little bit higher on the outlook of the implications of this deal. Let's just kind of quickly go over Terry Rozier as a player on the court. Like, what is he going to bring to the Hornets next season and for the next three years? I think when you look at his stats or you look at his outlook, you know, he's really only had one good season, and that, that's even debatable. In 2018, I believe that was the season, or 17-18, I believe, and, and he filled in for Kyrie uh, during those playoffs. And, you know, Scary Terry, you know, that's where his nickname came about. I think – when you see him on the court, he's going to be very perimeter-oriented. He took 49% of his field goal attempts from deep last season. So basically half of his shots are coming from behind the arc. Um, he's definitely got to get better around the rim. I get that he's undersized, and that's going to hinder him in, in terms of scoring around the rim. And that in-between game as well. So if you can't get all the way to the rim, at least you got to develop a, a floater game. And you know, considering his lack of size, that's going to have to happen. I see him fading, you know, away a lot on these in-between floater game. Um, and he's just not very effective in that area. So I think when you're looking at him in, in terms of scoring, it's going to be mostly from behind the arc. And as a point guard, you would also hope that uh, Rozier turns into more of a distributor and a playmaker. But his assist percentage and assists just haven't been great for a point guard. But I do think that the situation that he was in is probably maybe tough to tough to judge, considering the fact that he did play with some ball dominant players like Kyrie and and Jason Tatum and uh, Gordon Hayward, for example. So I think there's room for improvement and maybe potential in that aspect. But he's not going to be your typical, you know, prototypical point guard. And then on the defensive end, I, th- I think he's pretty average as well. So. BG Spencer, any thoughts on Rozier as a basketball player? Positives, negatives, anything? Just just throw them out. Yeah, I, I just want to start with kind of looking at the contract, at the situation, and and just try to look at it from the ten thousand foot view instead of seeing this fifty eight million dollar number and freaking out. So Rozier is twenty five years old. First thing I would say is when Kimball Walker was twenty five years old. It was the same situation. We didn't know what he was going to be as a player. We'd see glimpses and look what he turned out to be. I just think for Charlotte, the greatest tool we have, the max tool we have to improve the roster here is a $9.2 million mid-level exception. And then they end up, there was no path to getting a player of Terry Rozier's caliber this summer. But, did but they, want that? they were able to. Well, I, I mean, that we can debate that right here, right now, if you guys want to. I'm just saying there was no path to doing right. it, and they were still able to do it. So in a, so in a vacuum, that's a positive. Now, whether, what, what you feel about him as a player is a totally different conversation. Did we overpay for Rozier? Yeah, I agree. I think we overpaid for him. But we, you know, we also had no leverage in this situation. He was going to walk straight to Phoenix into their cap space, but we were able to come to the table with Boston – and figure out a very difficult sign-and-trade scenario and make it work and put him here. Now, do I think it did it matters do we want him or not? I, I, I don't think it matters that much. If you think Terry Rozier is going to hurt the tank next year, then, I mean, just kind of go reevaluate here. All right, it's a three-year deal on a 25-year-old player who was probably a top – he was probably one of the best three players on the Eastern Conference Finals team just a year ago who hit a game-winning shot in a playoff game against Milwaukee. And, and you can go back and look at his stats and you know in the 2018 playoffs they were, they were great all right now I understand the regular season data and everything I know what the numbers say I got it all right but 
It's a 25-year-old player. We were having the same conversation about Kimball Walker. We were having the same conversation and debate about D'Angelo Russell before he got to Brooklyn and had a breakout year. We've never seen him as the guy. He was a guy in the playoffs one season for Boston because of injuries. And then he goes back to a bench role behind what was probably the most toxic situation in the league this past year, you know, with Kyrie Irving there. I mean, Jason Tatum sucked this year too, right? So we can talk about it. I mean, I just, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. pay attention to Rozier's career stats, certainly last year. I, I, if that's all you're going to look at, then I think that, you might be surprised of how good he can be in a, in a fresh start, you know, I, but I, cause I do understand what the data says, but it's a three-year deal. He's young, he's athletic, which runs parallel to where this roster is kind of going. And he's going to be an expiring deal and in, in not that long. If he improves, this is actually going to be an asset, I think to, to Charlotte. So I, I, I just, I don't think the risk is that high for the Hornets. They're still going to have close to, if not full, max cap space next summer. The next year, they'll have at least two max cap slots, depending on what happens with this roster between now. So he's really not affecting what they can do in terms of adding free agents in the future and also operating as a dumping ground. Like His contract just really isn't affecting it that much. So I just think it's much more of a low-risk, high-reward proposition than I think it's being painted out as. And I get it. Like people are pissed right now because we lost Kim Button. Fans are just they're not going to look at it in in a, in any kind of positive light. I, I understand that. I just just want to like push back a little bit on how much of a negative this is. I don't think it's that much of a negative. You know, I think there's certainly some merit <clears throat> to the argument of, you know, hey, if the league or enough teams in it and and clearly there is free agency with the Suns and, and the Knicks and even I think Chicago, you know, the, there does seem to be so there was somewhat of a market for him this summer. And so if that's the case, even if all of us can pull up all the advanced data and says this guy's has was not a very effective player the last couple of years of his career and even some of the more basic numbers like looking at, you know, he's never shot over 40 percent from the field in one season of his career either. But despite that, he does this, this and this. And teams value that, therefore he's an asset. And if that's the case, like if you can go get the asset, then you do it, right? Like I, I get that, especially if if uh, the flip side of that is Kemba just leaving for nothing. You know what I mean? Like so, so I get that. Um, you know, maybe he helps your team win. You know, I don't think he will. In which case, good. That helps the the efforts to tank and get a top five pick. Um, you know, he adds some skill and he adds some skill and some youth. I you know I think Rozier at least checks that. Like you guys said, only in his mid twenties. And, um, you know, maybe it's up for debate whether he can turn into a trade chip or not. But I don't think it's completely out of the question, essentially, um, at, at some point. Um, you know, and again, if he doesn't help your team win, fine. You're rebuilding and gunning for a high draft pick. So, again, at least you turned Kemba's departure into something. It's just, it is a little bit of, a, of an interesting value proposition in general, though. Like, is Rozier at $58 million over three years, all fully guaranteed, you know, no non-guaranteed options, whatever – is that better than essentially the, the the blank space, which wouldn't have been much this summer? Um, so you're you're taking a risk here, but but basically, like that is the sort of the value proposition. Like you're taking an asset in distress, you're committing a fair amount of money and some 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 years to it. But is that better than essentially nothing in its place? Working this sign and trade, like as a means to add a player like Razier, who isn't very good but is young, you know, forces Charlotte to dish out this three-year contract. It, it does give me some some pause, though. You know, again, like I get that it, this this deal is going to become expiring pretty soon, but 
you know, this is a longer term salary. It's not a two year deal. There is no escape hatch to it. And, you know, two seasons from now, he and Nick Batum are going to soak up over a third of your cap between just those two guys. Um, that probably would have pushed me to walk away from this, the table on, on something like this. But but I, I can absolutely see, and Spencer, you've done a better job than anybody, you know, look, taking some of the emotion out of this and, and, and going through this line by line. And, and I can see through that process why this was a transaction that the Hornets were, were all in on. For me, I would, you know, again, if you put my GM cap on, it's a lot easier to call it from the sideline. But like, I would have just, you know, I would have, I would have passed on Rozier because I don't think he's a very good player. And, um, you know, if you're banking on some upside, you know, you're looking past a lot of bad, uh, to, to see into that. So I, I get why they did it, but, um, but, uh, I'm just, a, I'm a little concerned with, uh, with some of the possible ramifications. And it, it's not like Rozier did a great job around Boston's young core this season too, of which, you know, he was clearly a part of. Um, so yeah. yeah. In terms of value, Brian, uh, Basketball Index is, is an awesome resource, by the way, and they actually have a podcast on the Blue Wire Network, and I kind of was just punching in some numbers on his contract, and they have like a little database and some formulas that go through the value of somebody's contract and the positive return of investment that you would get on that, and Tier Rozier's three-year, $58 million contract, all three years, fully guaranteed, uh, that came out to 33% positive return of investment. So, yeah, it's not great in terms of you know the money that he's giving. I know that, Spencer, you have admitted that it is an overpay, uh, but that's what you obviously had to do to get a player of his quote-unquote caliber or, or value on this team. But like Brian, I'm a little bit iffy on on this signing and the sign and trade excuse me uh, and if he'll live up to that and i think becoming a more prominent role um, i'm sure that he is probably going to get the starting nod at point guard maybe some of his flaws become a little bit more exposed potentially if he does become an asset a tradable asset maybe that goes the opposite direction with him seeing more court time. So maybe the allure of Rozier is the fact that he does have this upside. He's 25 years old, uh, but he hasn't had that prominent role. So let's just hope for Charlotte's sake, for for Terry's sake, that becoming in this prominent role, that these weaknesses don't expose themselves a little bit more. Well, you know, I'll add this real quick about just about his contract too. You know, as much money as the Hornets have falling off the books here in the next two seasons, they have to pay somebody so one yeah, of the true. reasons that I like this gamble, I mean, everybody need you know, we talk about numbers and salary cap and all this stuff all the time. When you get north of 15 million and people's eyes pop out of their heads. But, you know, remember, salary, salary cap's pretty high these days. And Charlotte basically has <laughs> no team beyond next season. So you got to pay somebody. And if, and if I'm going to yeah. get my choice of a 25-year-old athletic guard who's shown the ability to score the ball, create his own buckets – uh, and also create for others and, and be a low turnover guy. All right. And I'm going to overpay him a little bit at that age, knowing that I really don't have a team for the next few years or wander into free agency as a small market and, and wonder who I'm going to throw all this money to. I kind of don't mind the gamble for Rozier. And so that's kind of the standpoint I'm coming from. I'm telling you right now, this, no, this $20 million number in 21-22 is not going to matter that much. It's just not because they don't. They're going to be young. It's going to be a bunch of draft picks. It's going to be Malik Monk on the last mm-hmm. year of his rookie deal. I mean, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, first round pick next year. Marvin Cody, MKG, all these guys are gone. Biz, they're all gone. 
So there's going to be an extremely cheap roster, and you got to pay somebody. So I, I just that, and he's young. So that's just why I is that's the best way I can kind of paint uh, of why this isn't that bad. Now now Rozier is a player. There are a lot of holes, no question. Uh, defensively, there's some serious concerns there, uh, especially just his want to factor. Um, but he's got the ability. I mean, his his steal percentage hasn't been awful. You know, in his first few years as a player, he's a really good defensive rebounder, which I think yep. is one of the reasons the the Hornets really coveted him. I think Borrego wants to play smaller lineups that requires you to have guards mm-hmm. that can rebound the ball and push it. Um, so I think they really like that about him. You know, I, he's he's a low turnover guy, which which I think is also obviously a, a positive. He's just got to learn to score the ball more efficiently. And I again, yeah. we understand. <laughs> Kemba Walker didn't shoot above forty percent until his twenty five, twenty six year old season. All right, so so we sure. understand the development factor for a small player like Rozier, and he's he's obviously a little bit bigger than Kemba. Um, but that's where he's got to improve. He's got to be better. He's got to get to the rim more. All right. He's got to be able to create more shots for his teammates. Assist rate isn't terrible, but it isn't great. And, and he's got to probably take a little less mid range. Uh, you know, he's an athletic guy. He's got a great first step. He's a twitchy athlete. All the tools are there for him to be a pretty damn good point guard in, the, in, in this league to me. And, uh, and I think he can get there. And, and I like him with Borrego, too. That's the last thing I'll say. I think he can play two guard in small lineups. He can, he can obviously play point guard, and you can probably pencil him in as the Hornets' starting point guard. But he has some versatility in that way, too. So, so we'll see what happens. But no question, BG, a lot of holes in the game. Yeah, there, there's definitely some positives to point out. And, Spencer, you did a good job of kind of labeling those. And I, I think I found this little nugget here, like rebounding. He's a very good rebounder for his size. I mean, he's not going to box someone out by any means, but he, he just knows where the ball is going to come off, and he times that. So last season he was third among players under 6'4 in rebounds per 100 possessions. So that, that's something that you can just point to. And, and, you know, I've always been a big proponent of guards that can rebound because you can start that that transition quicker clearly so yeah I mean, the on-court aspect is clearly not the the highlight here with this with this transaction and spencer you've done a good job of making me kind of cool off my anger a little bit with the you know with this signing but i, I just kind of wanted to take it slower but i mean i guess i guess you're right i, mean, I think that you're going to need players to to eat up some salary in the coming years and it might not be as bad as we make it out to be no no I, and look and i'm not I'm not right. I'm not right at all. Like it is a big number. We overpaid him. My my goal is just to look down the road and say, I'm just telling you guys now, like I know it looks like a big number. It's not going to handicap the Hornets' ability to be a dumping ground. Or or if they get a clue from a free agent that's a really good player that would like to come to Charlotte, they're gonna have max cap space for the next two summers. So the the act the role of the dice is not that risky. Now, will they probably screw it up from here? Yeah, they probably will. <laughs> because, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. because we've seen that. But in a vacuum, I don't think the risk is that great. Right. Well, let me spit out just a couple other quick uh, Rosier numbers. Uh, some good and some bad. Uh, Thirty-five. This is from this past season. 35% shooting on three-pointers out of the pick and roll. Uh, 51 attempts. Not a ton, but decent number. Uh, 0.93 points per possession out of pick and roll. It's not great, but not terrible. I'm sure he's going to run a lot of pick and roll this season more than he's ever run before. You know, I don't know how efficient Terry Rozier is going to be this year, but he's going to put up, uh, you know, I would imagine he's going to get, have 
more usage rate, higher usage rate than he's ever had before. And he's going to get plenty of playing time. Like he's going to put up some box score stats, 59% effective shooting coming off of screens, 56% effective shooting on spot up, no dribble jumpers in the half court, which is pretty good. Um, and his splits with Kyrie are kind of interesting too. Uh, with Kyrie off the court, 39% shooting on threes, 51% effective shooting with Kyrie on the floor, uh, 23% three-point shooting, 37% effective shooting. So, you know, just you know, a lot of noise probably in those numbers, but bad juju with he and Kyrie on the court together last season. And uh, some of the bad, uh, shooting at the rim in the half court, 46% at the rim. It's not very good, especially for someone who's you know pretty athletic and stuff like that. And again, he's going to take a lot of pull-up shots, I would imagine, this offense next season. Um, just 37% effective shooting on uh, off-dribble jumpers in the half court uh, last season. And only 14 games in the 18-19 season with 20% usage and an effective shooting rate over 50%. So yeah, like he's just got, you know, the key for him will be to he's going to get his reps and if he can become a more efficient you know, pull-up shooter um, and, a, and a guy that can play make. You know, again, I don't think he's a very good passer by any stretch of the imagination, but he's going to have his opportunity next season. That's for sure. Um, and the more important thing will be to probably to watch the guys around the younger guys around him. Your Dwayne Bacon, your Malik Monk, uh-huh. um, you know, your Miles Bridges, your PJ Washington. All right. So to complete this sign and trade, you know, with with the Hornets and the Celtics, Kemba for Rozier, it, it's pretty simple. If it's only these two teams. The Celtics have max cap space, so all those sign-and-trade rules are very, very restrictive. Um, The Celtics can just take Kimba into their cap space, and and so the salary matching constraints uh, aren't, you know, they're not gone, but they're they're not what they they would usually be with two teams trying to complete this deal that are over the cap. So basically, Kimba's outgoing salary to the Hornets is 50% of his new contract, which is $32.7 million. So the, so the outgoing salary from the Hornets' perspective is 16 and change. So they can take that plus $5 million, which are regular trade rules, back in salary for a team. So that's where the first year of Rozier's contract, which would be $17.9 million, that's where it fits nicely in and gets this deal done. I have 18.4 for him. So first year will be seven. First year will be seventeen point nine, and then he's 8% raises for the next two years. Yeah, so it'll okay. be... Well, regardless, yeah. either one of those salaries will yeah, work. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, either one of those will work. So so Rosier will make 17.9 this coming season, 19.3, 2021, and then 20.8, almost $20 million in 21-22. So uh, assuming, you know, that we get the – I mean, that that's kind of why I think the Rosier did this is because he got the 8% raises. And, and look, so the other piece of this is, okay, but are we going to have to compensate Boston um, for kind of doing this a big – you know, I don't know that's going to be true. Uh, we, we saw Golden State just have to compensate. Um, oh, what is the sign and trade to, well, to get D'Angelo Russell to the Warriors? You know, they first round yeah, pick. They, they had to send a protected first round pick to Brooklyn. Let's wait and see on this one. I, I do think that the Celtics wanted to take care of Rozier, and I think that you know, being able to get him this contract and, and maybe steer him to where he wanted to go. I mean, we don't know that he, he didn't want to go to Charlotte over Phoenix, that might ease the pain here um so there might not be anything going out that's the hope obviously uh i would be surprised if i would be surprised if even charlotte agreed on a heavily protected first i I don't see that happening here so worst case scenario maybe just maybe just a few seconds or maybe just one second so we'll wait and see on that now it's also assumed that brooklyn is completely out of this deal 
if Brooklyn was in on this deal, then Kyrie to Brooklyn, Kimba to Boston, Rozier to Charlotte, and there's no picks. Everybody gets their way, and they figured out this incredible math in, the, in this three-team signing trade, which is super rare. So sounds like Brooklyn's out, though, so let's wait and see. But I wouldn't just go ahead and assume that Charlotte sends some to Boston. I actually think there's a chance nothing's going there. From there, how does Charlotte fill out the rest of their roster uh, during free agency? They still have the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is $9.2 million dollars. They also have the biannual exception. You get that every other year if you don't use it. So it's available as long as you didn't use it the summer before. So literally the biannual exception, that's uh, $3 million and change. Um, and then they have the Dwight Howard trade exception, which expires on July the 6th, worth, worth $7.8 million. So all that to say, those are kind of the three team-building um tools they have for the rest of the summer the total salary is just shy depending on what cap holds you're counting is just shy of 120 million so the, the hornets have approximately 12 million dollars under the, the luxury tax yeah. under the luxury tax line to build this roster out I, I probably think they will use the mid-level exception at least at least a portion of it probably not the whole thing to go get a center uh and i also yeah. think they, they need another point guard i mean they need uh you know rosier's not a true point guard the only true point guard they have on this roster right now is Devonte graham so i do think that they will you know use a minimum exception or something like that to, to bring in a point guard they might just bring shelvin mack back i mean who knows so <laughs> so that's kind of what we're looking at yeah, there's some interesting center names out on the market too. You know what I mean? Or some guys that you could just be looked at as like another front court player. But uh, again, these are none of these guys are very good. But you know, if if you thought you could get Ken Birch or Chick Diallo, or I would have said Rashawn Holmes, but he signed with Sacramento. Cantor signed with Boston today. Um, I mean, Demarcus Cousins is still out there. So yeah, and then you know, there's some other guards. I guess they could look to on the. Uh, you know, on the wing or, you know, maybe even maybe they maybe they'd even check out a Jabari Parker type. But as Spencer said, um, you know, center and point guard need to be the two priorities. So looking for a, a score first wing like Jabari that can't defend is probably not going to make the, the most sense. But, yeah, that would be my estimation to use that, use the MLE and use it over a couple of players and get a guy like Cody Martin on the roster, I would imagine. And because and, uh, right now they've got 12 guys signed and then use the. The, the MLE to go uh, get at least one veteran to bring him in the door. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be my thought going forward for the Hornets here. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. Uh, if you guys are big scary Terry fans or Terry Rozier fans, we're definitely going to have a t-shirt that comes out and we'll promote that on our Twitter handle. So if you want to get your hands on that, we'll let you know when that is available on the blue wire shop. Again, if you're enjoying the content, we always appreciate that five-star rating and review. Uh, you guys have no idea how far that goes in helping us out. Be sure to reach out to us on Twitter if you want to continue this conversation, whether it's our personal accounts or at BuzzBeatPod. We'll be happy to continue this conversation. So, guys, we'll see you all next time. Go Hornets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.